0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City,
1: this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? (laughs) Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up.
0: The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is
1: open now. Give Jeff
0: a call at 414-799-1620.
1: I'm sorry, I think this is app. Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. All right, let's get the sports conversation out of the way quickly. First of all, the Milwaukee Brewers. Five and five on the road trip. Um, and you might say, oh, well, five and five, that's not that great. Actually, this was a very strong road trip. Uh, here, here's the deal. The Brewers, 10 games, one of the longest road trips of the year. They played at Chicago, at Philadelphia, at Atlanta. Chicago is the team they are competing with primarily to win the Central Division title. Atlanta and Philadelphia are the two best teams in the East. And together with Los Angeles, those are probably, in addition to the Brewers, the five best teams in the National League. So they they go on the road. They play 10 games uh, they win five. They probably you know, had a chance maybe to win two more, and that would have made it a great trip. But five and five, playing on the road. Now they don't have to go back and play on the road at Atlanta. They don't have to play Philadelphia on the road again. They're, they're done with those trips. Five and five, very successful. They're playing good baseball. They come back. All right, if you are a Brewers fan, this is not the time to be jumping off the ship. I think it's very, very successful, plus the pitching seems to be coming around. So I'm optimistic about the Brewers. All right, the the Bucks. Couple quick observations. First of all, if anybody's worried, don't be. I mean, the, the, the truth is, it would have been nice if they would have won that game yesterday, but you know, Toronto's not a bad team, and Toronto had their backs to their wall, and I think Toronto, you gotta give them a little bit of credit. They won in double overtime, and a number of the Bucks players had the worst games that they're gonna have in a long time. I think if I was a betting guy, oh, I am a betting guy, but if I was a betting guy and I was at a place that I could place bets, I think the Bucks win in five. I mean, I think Toronto put it all on the line. Give them credit. You know, their star Kawhi Leonard, Leonard played 52 minutes. My guess is the guy's going to have trouble getting out of bed today, and it played an outstanding game, but... The Bucks are a better team, at least in my opinion, and in multiple game series, like seven game series, the better team typically wins. That's one of the things that's so cool about the NCAA basketball tournament, where it's a one and done, because in a one and done, you, you can have You know, you can have these upsets. You can have the deal where your your star shooting guard goes out and you can't play the number two guy because he's got a hangover. And so you look at the end of the bench and you see Jeff Wagner sitting at the very end of the bench and you bring Jeff Wagner in. And for that one game, Jeff Wagner just gets it's that magical moment where every shot goes in. Hadn't happened before. Will never happen again. But you have that one magical night. Well. The, the truth is that that's great. That's what makes the NCAA tournament so cool. But in the professional sports, typically in a seven-game series, best of seven, the the better team's going to win, and the Bucks are a better team, so I am not worried about that. One of the cool things, though, about this Bucks run, and I say this sincerely, is the fact that it is, again, uniting the community. Lots and lots of people down in the Deer District yesterday, but just – I, last night, I was telling um, Steve and Melissa this story. Friends of ours invited us to a very, very nice dinner party at their home, and there were there were four couples all, all in, all done. And so we, we have dinner, and then the TV's kind of on in the background, and we finish dinner, and it's the middle of the fourth quarter. And, and we go over, and I'm willing to bet, out of the, this group, oh, probably four out of – I would say there were three of us who were pretty kind of hardcore sports fans – and the other five, casual to not generally interested. But all of us, we sat around and, you know, we watched the TV. And if people are cheering and going crazy, it was just, it's a fun thing. This is good for the city. It is good for the community. And you hope the ride continues. So go box. All right. So that was one of the big things that ended yesterday. You had the, uh, again, you had the the first game in the, the playoffs. People were focused on that. On television, you had a couple things. The American Idol f- show ended. I guess I, I have no, I can't even speak to that because I have seen none of of those. American Idol jumped the shark a long time ago. But the other thing that happened was something that about thirty million people watched, which was the Game of Thrones. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have said this before. I, I, I haven't watched it religiously. I watched the first year of Game of Thrones because I had read the first book. I don't like to watch TV stuff or, or movies if I intend to read the books, and I I do, I think, intend to read the books. So I've kind of kept up with it, and so I know who some of the characters are just because it's such a pop culture phenomenon. The other thing that happened with Game of Thrones is the, the writer, George Martin, he's finished five books, Well, after the fifth season, HBO had used all that storyline. For the last two years, they've kind of gone off on their own, and they're inventing their own conclusion to this. So if the author of the series ever gets around to writing more books, he might choose to take it in a different direction. But anyhow, last night was the finale. I got home from this party, and I I did watch... Most of the finale, I kind of fast-forwarded through a couple things. So I, I, I know sort of what happened last night. The Internet is a buzz with the game of thrones response and the general consensus would be well it's not the worst finale ever it's not like sopranos or something like that but as a general rule people seem to be underwhelmed all right this is such a pop culture phenomena i wanted to dev- devote just one segment to this 4147991620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line if you were a game of thrones fan and you Obviously, watch the conclusion yesterday. Were you, were you satisfied? Did they do a good job of wrapping it up or did it leave you unfulfilled? And spoiler alert here, if, if you haven't seen it and you don't you don't want to know what happened, you probably want to check back in about five minutes because it's impossible to have this conversation without potentially you know, talking about how it ended. Were you satisfied with the way they wrapped it up? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So glad to have you with us. And again, spoiler alert, we're talking for this segment about the Game of Thrones and the ending last night. If you haven't seen it, well, obviously, you're probably having a tough time today because what happened is in all these newspapers and all over the Internet. But come back in 5 minutes. 4147991620 Mike and Walker Show starts it off. He says, "I was overall disappointed with how things ended up and how quickly it had to wrap up. I'm glad it's over. I was satisfied with a lot of the loose ends they tied up." Sue in Brookfield. Sue, good afternoon. Hi. Hi Sue.
2: Yeah. I was disappointed. I didn't think they had spent the time That the writers had spent on other episodes, uh, character development and that sort of thing. I think they ended it quickly. Mm -hmm. Not believable to people who watched that story faithfully. Um, I don't think Jon Snow would have carried out the killing of Daenerys. I I just didn't think it was a very good ending at all.
1: Do you... um... What did you think of the last season in general? Did you think it was good? Because the, the comment I get from a lot of people who were diehard Game of Thrones watchers was they thought the whole last season seemed, seemed really rushed.
2: To a point, the, the fifth and sixth episodes, yes. I think the third episode, which was the...
1: Uh, the big battle. Uh,
2: A big battle with the White Walkers, I think that was exceptional. It carried on a long time, but how they they ended up killing the Night King and Arya, you know, I think that was well played out. Mm -hmm. But it seemed different. I don't know if it was maybe because it varied from the book.
1: Right. Right, or right or they were might right, thanks to call or, or they were kind of on their own that is the interesting thing if if the author of the books ever gets around to writing the last two and and who knows that if, if he will or if he won't if he ever gets around to writing the last two he might choose to end this series in a, market, a markedly different way than the HBO writers chose to do it four one four seven nine nine one six twenty all right it's it's going to be the highest rated non- sports team TV show of the year and it's really something to think about when you consider that it's on hbo you know and and a lot of people don't have hbo but you know did it work uh diane in milwaukee diane you're on wtmj hello oh
3: hi hi yeah i loved it i just loved it i I have seen every episode twice um
1: twice twice you've seen every episode twice (laughs)
3: Yeah, i watched the whole season right before this season started I love that show. And I like the way it ended. I mean, some people are always going to complain. Yep. But I thought it was, you know, I thought it was really good. It was kind of peaceful. Especially after the Bucks game, I was a nervous wreck. But um, <laughs> it was very It was. But it was real peaceful, and Daenerys had to get killed by John. He didn't want to kill her. He, she had to. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have, have save Teresa. Tari- Tari- really right. <laughs> right. So I loved it.
1: Um, and you're, as you think back, are you sorry to see it end, or do you think it had kind of run its course?
3: I never wanted to end. Okay. Never. I have major withdrawal already. But
1: um, what can <laughs> <Yeah>. I do? <laughs> All right. No. Thanks. Again. Well, you you can. Well, I mean, I will tell you. You know, there was there was one part of the the thing that I mean, I, I understand HBO is already working on a a prequel to it set thousands of years before the time of Game of Thrones and there is the the one thing where one of the the main characters kind of sails off into the the sunset and and people are saying well that that gives them if they want to do you know another if they want to do a sequel to it you could pick it up there i guess the bottom line is it's it's difficult it's difficult to make everybody happy i think somebody made that point earlier and when you have these television shows where people get just so incredibly invested in, in the characters. You, you feel like you, you know them, and we all have these ideas as to how we, we want this to turn out. It, it's tough to please everybody. I guess my general sense is, and again, this is just from somebody who's followed Game of Thrones on, as a, on the periphery. I, I thought it was an okay ending. Not great, but certainly, not, like I say, it wasn't like Sopranos bad. It was it was okay, and it gave a bunch of closure. I think it felt a little bit rushed. It was almost like, okay, we've got two hours left, and here we, we have to get this done, so we have to kind of tie up all these various loose ends. It's it's the nature of TV. But now the question is going to be, and this is the other larger question moving forward, is what does HBO do? Because, you know, th- this has been the big money maker i mean hbo is one of these th- one of these entities where it, it doesn't it doesn't rely on on advertisers purchasing commercials it relies on us deciding that hey the content is so good that we are going to pay x amount of dollars a month to have it And you almost always need signature type of things. Game of Thrones has been a signature type of thing. People say, I'm going to subscribe to HBO because I want to, I want to watch Game of Thrones. All right. Well, now that Game of Thrones is gone, the question is, what, what's going to be next to make sure people who are already cutting the the cord to make sure that people say, "All right, I, I I want to pay to have HBO." I don't know what that next thing is going to be. Some of the stuff that they thought was going to be the next uh, Game of Thrones hasn't quite panned out, but that's going to be that's going to be the next story. What? If anything replaces HBO replaces Game of Thrones on HBO. This is Jeff Wagner it's 1223.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: so very glad to have you with us uh, you know talking about like road rage and things i have made this point that you could not pay me enough money to be a driver in the Milwaukee county bus system i mean I, I've always been very, very sympathetic when you hear these stories occasionally about the bus driver who's just on his or her last nerve and um, responds to the out-of-control passenger and then the bus company fires him. I, I just can't imagine the day-to-day activities that go on and the stuff you have to put up with if you're a driver. Here's the latest story. It happened uh, last Wednesday, 76th and Appleton, 3.30 in the afternoon, on one of the bus routes, woman gets on to the bus, and the driver says, okay, you've got to pay the fare. The woman refuses to pay the fare. And, of course, in Milwaukee, their philosophy is if you, if you don't pay the fare, they, they, they don't stop, they don't call anybody, they just go on. But the driver is supposed to at least try to collect the money. Okay, so the driver says you have to pay the fare, at which point in time the woman becomes, as they describe it, both verbally and physically abusive to the bus driver. Okay, hey lady, you got to put the fare in there, and you can just imagine that that sets this woman off. Apparently, what happens is the woman then pulls out a knife and starts to climb over the um, security shield that they have, and end up she ends up stabbing the the driver in the arm. And he's got his arm up trying to defend himself, and she pulls a knife on him and and stabs him. I mean, it's just. Again, one of these things where if you ever hear these stories about like a bus driver and the bus driver, oh, the bus driver cursed back at the person. Can you imagine what they put up with on a daily basis? And thankfully, attacks on bus drivers are still rare, but they happen with too much frequency. And again, it's just it's the nature of the world we live in, I guess. All right. I I am always I, I get criticism from both sides of the aisle on this because. I am not one of these people who thinks that President Trump can do no wrong. Matter of fact, I criticize him lots. Like, I don't think he's on the right track with this tariff type of thing at all. At the same time, I also don't think he is the devil. And and I think one of the things that's happened is the camps have become so entrenched on both sides that we we lose sight of the fact that, hey, you know, he's got policies that are working and are, are good. And we've got other policies of his that aren't good, and I understand why his personality is off-putting at best. And I'm one of these guys who says, I wish he would stay off of Twitter. I don't think he helps himself, but that's my perspective on it. Now, having said all of that, we are less than 18 months away from the next presidential election. You've already got 23, 24, however many candidates running for the right to challenge, you know, President Trump. There's a couple people on the Republican side who are talking about running, but that that's realistically, you know, they don't have a chance. So it's going to be Donald Trump versus, you know, whoever emerges on the Democratic side. But we're going to be deciding that in the course of, again, the next 18 months after the Mueller report was released there were some people who said well we're not satisfied with this it it doesn't find that he colluded with the Russians it leaves open the question of obstruction of justice and so the question becomes what happens next the reality is there's not enough votes in the U.S. Senate to impeach the president there's just there's not What happens is if you start an impeachment proceeding, you can get articles of impeachment in the House of Representatives, the congressmen and congresswomen, by a majority vote. But then what happens is it goes to the U.S. Senate, there is a trial, and you need two-thirds. You need, like, what, 66 or 67 people to vote for impeachment. The Republicans have 53. You're not going to come close to getting 67 votes. You're not going to come close to that. So impeachment is an exercise in futility as a matter of, of realistic, can President Trump be removed? But there is the political theater that goes on. And, you know, a lot of the Democratic leadership have been saying, oh, we we don't want anything to do with impeachment. Let's we've got an election that's coming up in 18 months. Let us concentrate on that. Over the weekend, a representative, a congressman from uh, Michigan, his name is Justin Amish. He said, well, you know what? I've decided I, I think that the president's conduct reaches the threshold of impeachment. And I think that's what we should do. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we are 18 months away. This is, to my knowledge, the first Republican in the House of Representatives who now says, yeah, I I think trying to impeach the president might be a good idea. I'm not going to bury the lead here. To me, the last thing this country needs, regardless of how you feel about President Trump, is spending the next... 18 months wrapped up in an impeachment process that can't possibly succeed because of the political realities. Is this how we want to spend the next year of our lives? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I don't think Republicans want to do this. I don't think the majority of Democrats want to do it. If the Democrats want to beat uh, Donald Trump, what you want to do is concentrate on finding that candidate that you think has the best chance to do it. Should we invest one one moment, one unit of psychic energy in trying to impeach the president? My answer would be not just no, but heck no. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Jerry in Appleton. Hi, Jerry.
4: All oh, right, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was on your screener. Uh, I was listening to Kevin McCarthy on Fox. He's the uh, minority leader of the Republicans down in right. the House. He's from California. You know what I'm talking about. And he said this guy's an outlier. I don't know if that's the word he used, but he's, he's always trying to do this type of thing. Um, this guy is trying to get attention yep. you know stop and think of it if you want to get a lot of notoriety and kind of get a, a few minutes of fame you're not going to do it if you're a Republican by going by backing Trump you're going to do it by coming out against them that creates a big headline it creates
1: well, a- well right I mean nobody had ever heard of this this guy you're exactly right this guy's a backbencher congressman from Michigan nobody's ever heard of justice Al- Justin Amash until hey he makes this announcement now you know it's in the Washington Post it's in the New York Times talk radio's talking about it all over the country. Now, it might not be a good thing that you're being talked about in that way, but but yeah, this it's a cry for attention, I think.
4: Well, yeah, and and, and he said uh, Kevin McCarthy said uh, he hasn't voted with the Republicans on a lot of stuff, and so not just this, this, this issue. And I, I so I don't think that. The, and the Democrats are trying to spin this in like, here we go, now the dike is broke. There's gonna, uh, there, there's not going to be any mass no. uh, mag, mass exodus. Well, uh, no, uh, that there, was
1: my prediction. No, thanks. No, and I, I agree with you completely. And this is. To me, this has all the earmarks, again, of a political stunt at this point in time. Now look, you, you can have some people who think, well, based on the information in the Mueller report, I think there might be some evidence that he obstructed justice by threatening to, by threatening to fire Mueller or whatever, but it's, it's not like Richard Nixon, you know, covering up a, a burglary. It's just it's just not. And, of course, the other problem is in, in the case of Watergate, for example, there, there was an underlying crime. There was a burglary here. You say, OK, you tried to obstruct justice by firing people that you had the power to fire. Um, and there was no underlying crime. I'm just saying that I this does not strike me as being an impeachable offense. All right. But the reality is it's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to happen. There's no smoking gun that's out there. There's no smoking gun that's going to be discovered to the extent you want to remove the president. I understand there's a lot of people who want to do it. It's a political end that you reach, and you're going to reach it in 18 months. And I guess as somebody who wants to see this country – continue to grow and thrive and survive and I want to see people, you know, continue to work and I want to see people be able to own their own homes and things like that. I I want to see peace. I want to see prosperity. Okay, this is not how we want to spend the the next, you know, 12 or 18 months just spinning our wheels um, like we have for the last two and a half years on these various investigations. If you want to beat Donald Trump, go with God. That's that's fine. You know, then donate money and go out and work to support Bernie Sanders, God help us, or Joe Biden or somebody else. 414-799-1620. Dan on the south side. Hi, Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey,
4: how are you doing today?
1: Good. What do you think?
4: Well, I, I don't know about this. I You know, i got a qu- I got two questions for you, and I'm listening to your conversation, and I, I think I got you. One and three. So you're an ex lawyer, correct?
1: I'm. I'm actually a current lawyer. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm. I'm licensed to practice law, but I don't. But yeah, I'm. am a lawyer. Yep.
4: Okay. My question to you: Would you go after Trump for obstruction?
1: No. No. Okay, if, I, if I if I was I want... in the U.S. Attorney's office, would I go after Trump for obstruction? The answer is no. I would not. Okay. And I would. I wouldn't go after. And I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't go after Clinton under the same set of circumstances. No. I don't. I think this would be an extreme – I think it would be impossible to prove obstruction of justice under these circumstances beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't think – I don't think it's there.
4: All right, second question. What, let's say he loses in 20. Yeah? Yeah, three other uh, states, I think New York, Washington, and Virginia, they're looking back into the other things, correct?
1: Into what What other I mean, things?
4: I mean, they're – They're going Mueller handed off other things. Oh,
1: oh, oh, right. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of other investigations. They're looking into whether or not, um, you know, uh, was money inappropriately used for the inauguration. They're looking at yeah. There's all sorts of other investigations that are going on. Yes, you're correct.
4: Okay. my question. If he loses, do you think they will go after him or they'll let him be?
1: Interesting. I I, and and I'm not thanks to call, Dan. I'm not trying to duck your question. My my answer is, I don't know. And, and the reason I say that is because I don't know what the investigations are going to find. And... and you know, in the case of the obstruction thing, the reason I say no, I, w- I wouldn't have charged is because you, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, you know, what the intent was. And, and keep in mind, for a lot of the stuff in in the Mueller thing, yeah, he, he's venting, he's saying, okay, I want this done, I want that done, but it never happened. They never fired Mueller. I mean, all those different types of things. I don't think you'd be able to prove it. I don't know enough about the other investigations to offer an intelligent uh, opinion about that. I think in, in many respects there will be – I think it's unlikely. I mean you've seen this before. Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon because he didn't think it was good for the country to get you know wrapped up in continuing the Watergate thing. And, and that, that decision that Gerald Ford made to pardon Richard Nixon in 1975, it, I think it cost Ford the re-election as president – his election in uh, 1976, and it, it dramatically hurt the Republican Party. The Watergate thing did moving forward. I I don't. So my answer to you is I don't. I don't know. I don't know what these investigations are going to find. I I think there is a tendency, you know, after somebody has left office, to just say, okay, we're we're going to move on. And I, I mean, you you've seen that with the Hillary Clinton thing. I understand there's people out there chanting, lock her up, lock her up, and there's this controversy about whether as Secretary of State she committed crimes or not. I I didn't think. I I didn't think we gained anything by going back and trying to prosecute her for for something. She lost the election. Boom. Let's move on. My guess is that's probably going to be what happens with Trump if he loses reelection a year from now. But but who knows? It kind of depends on what the evidence that prosecutors find is. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Okay, the 26th Amendment was adopted 48 years ago this year. It is the the amendment to the Constitution which reduces the voting age from 21 to 18. And actually, the, the movement to make this happen started 50 years ago. It started in 1969, and there was huge pressure. And, and, and this is, of course, the time. It's the, the Vietnam War is raging. You have 18-year-olds that are being drafted, and you have a number of people who are saying, look, it, it's not fair that people can be called upon to serve in the military and get sent to Vietnam and potentially risk not coming back. It's not fair to have that happen. They've got skin in the game. They should be able to vote. And it was a movement that really, again, started in 1969 and culminated with the 26th amendment in 1971. I bring this up because there is a new movement which is getting started across this country. And maybe you're you're hearing it here first. There is now talk of reducing the voting age. We went from 21 to 18. The talk is amending the Constitution to drop the voting age from 18 to 16. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I happen to think, I would normally, you know, in years past, I might say that I think this argument is so dumb that it would bark, but that would be an insult to my dog, Sasha. But here's the question. Should we, should we, consider dropping the voting age from 18 to 16 my answer would be no but i'd like to have the conversation 414-799-1620 that is the accent mortgage talk and text line why jeff you might ask why would be people why would people be pushing to drop the voting age to 16 well the argument is just like back in 1969 and 70 and 71 you had the 18 year olds that had the quote-unquote skin in the game you know they could get there they could get sent to uh, Vietnam or whatever the argument is hey high schoolers now are affected by all sorts of social turbulence gun violence, things like that. And, you know, since they are affected, since you have school shootings, shouldn't they, at the age of 16, have the right to have some sort of say in the sort of conditions that are going to affect them in their their lives? 414-799-1620, that's the Akinet mortgage talk and text line. The whole idea is, again, skin in the game, 18-year-olds, Back in 1969, and it really was, it was the draft that was the catalyst for this movement. It was tough to kind of argue that, well, okay, if you're old enough to serve in the military, you're not old enough to vote. Now, we still, though, have the attitude where we say you're old enough to serve in the military, you're old enough to get married, you're old enough to sign contracts, but you're not old enough to drink. We've kept the drinking age at 21. Should we lower the voting age to 16? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Matt in Watertown. Matt, good afternoon.
5: Here's my problem with this situation is the Boston Tea Party was about taxation without representation, and I think this country has gone flip-flop completely the other way. We have a whole bunch of representation now without taxation. So you've (laughs) got, um, how many 16-year-olds do you know that are paying a decent amount of taxes? It's, Slim to none, and I suppose they pay a little bit of sales tax. And maybe some
1: social security tax if you're working part-time at your job. But, yes, right, right. So there-
5: that's my issue with it. I mean, you could take it even one step further than that. Not Let's not say just people that are 16 can't vote. Let's Let's have people put skin in the game before they can vote.
1: Well, you know, that's I mean, thanks. For I mean, I, now I'm, I'm not talking about erecting barriers, but but yeah, that's the whole issue. Now, if, if you're rolling your eyes and you're saying, well, Jeff, th- this could never happen. Just let me give you a little bit of perspective. There are about a dozen countries that allow 16 year olds to vote. Argentina. Of course, Argentina, <laughs> Argentina is kind of a mess, number one. And number two, uh, Argentina is sort of everybody has to vote for the same person. Austria, Brazil, Ecuador. There's a handful of those companies, that, countries that allow voting at 16. The vast majority, the vast majority leave it at 18. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I have just a more fundamental sort of issue with this, that the, the you are you are not an adult at 16 at 18 you are legally an adult you can be held accountable for your actions as an adult in criminal court you can get married you can enter into contracts um you can join the military you are treated as an adult for most purposes other than uh, again buying alcohol and that's a whole nother conversation In contrast, at 16, you can do none of those things. You can't even get a tattoo on your own at the age of 16, and so we're going to say, well, you're not mature enough to make that decision on the tattoo, but we're going to allow you to vote. 414-799-1620. Dave and Racine. Hi, Dave.
5: Greetings and salutations. Yes, sir. Just thinking that you know, as you 've kind of pointed out, if you 're not uh, mentally or f- responsible to be able to engage in all activities, I-, I like the example of being able to own a gun or being able to be uh, fully responsible criminally for your actions. you know we mm-hmm. have these laws that it 's cruel and unusual punishment to put a a, right. a juvenile killer away for life in prison without parole Right. Uh, then if they're not developed enough to that to, to have that responsibility. Shouldn't the I, I think voting is an ex, a, a serious responsibility, and I think if you're not uh, mentally uh, able to handle yeah. uh, other things, you shouldn't be allowed to bear that upon, uh, foist your irresponsibility on the nation.
1: Well, and I agree with you, Dave. And thank, thanks for the call. Look, and, and I understand if you were to say to me, Jeff. I know 16 year olds who are a heck of a lot more mature than a bunch of 42 year olds that I know. I would probably say, yeah, I I, I see your point, but you have to, you have to have certain you have to draw a line somewhere, and I'm not suggesting that every 16-year-old might be immature and not up to this, but you have to draw a line somewhere. I mean, why, why make, if it's going to be 16, why not make it 14? Why not make it 12? Here I have a text, though, so Jeff, I have a 17-year-old, and I do believe they should have the right to vote. Things have become so political, and getting a younger perspective could be good. Well, okay. I mean, it's not just a question of a perspective, though. It's if you believe votes matter, the, the issue becomes at, at what point in time, what point in time do you have that say? And candidly, I, I think it has to be when you are an adult. Now, if you want to have the conversation that, okay, at the age of 16, you should be eligible to serve in the military, and we're going to treat you as an adult, that's fine. But I don't think most people really want to go down that route. This is This is seriously out there. Now look, I also understand the politics of this. It's being pushed by by some on the left who think that, all right, if we get if we get the sixteen and the seventeen year olds into vote, it's going to give us people who are more likely to vote for liberal candidates than conservative candidates. And I think that there there is an element to that. But my big point is, unless we are willing to say that for all purposes or almost all purposes we are going to treat sixteen-year-olds as adults I don't think this is something that's out there and I don't think and I look I appreciate you know you I, I appreciate that everybody has to deal with the social issues that are there and I understand that gun violence in schools a concern and things like that but this is different the motivating factors driving the 26th Amendment, driving the reduction of between of the voting age from 21 to 18. All right. Th- that was the Vietnam War. That was the draft. And that was the fact that 18 year olds were adults for all purposes. This this isn't that. And yeah, do people need to be concerned that gee, somebody could show up at our school and have a gun? Yes. Is that a concern? Does that mean, though? that you, know, you need to necessarily get the right to vote at the age of 16, my answer would be no. But there are people that are pushing this, and you're going to hear more about this over the course of the next year or two. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. couple of texts on our previous conversation. Jeff, I worked at a high school for 39 years. The majority of 16-year-olds would not be well advised to vote. The two-year difference between 16 and 18 makes a huge difference. Another text, hey, Jeff, shouldn't that 17-year-old that wants the right to vote be in school and not listening to your show right now? Well, that's what we have the podcast for that you can check out. Subscribe to the podcast. Lots of you do. I appreciate that a lot. You just go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile application, and we notify you each and every day as soon as Groo gets done putting it together. All right. Here's my favorite one on that. Um, Jeff, let's see. Uh, let me, let me find this here. I want to get it exactly correct. Uh, let's see. He's the, uh, we have one said, why should anybody who eats laundry detergent pods on YouTube be able to vote? Well, there is that, there is that type of thing as well. All right, let us switch gears. I grew up in this area. I have, over the years, been to the Mitchell Park domes on a handful of occasions. I like the Mitchell Park domes. I, I, I do. And I think if, if you know what we're discussing, the, the Mitchell Park domes are kind of off of the a little bit south of the freeway, Mitchell Park, off of like 35th Street and stuff like that. Um, they've been there since the 60s. The problem is they are falling apart. They were built in the 60s using building procedures that were used in the 60s. And we, we all know that it, it's just it's not lasting what's going on now so the idea is what do we do with the domes the push right now is to take tens of millions of dollars and the estimates are to at least to just do what needs to be done to keep the domes going you're probably talking uh, depending on the estimate forty million dollars to sixty to eighty million dollars maybe a little more maybe a little less but this is a cash-strapped Milwaukee County. Well, there was an idea that was floated a while ago about how maybe we should do is we should tear down the domes and then do something to, to merge them with the Milwaukee Public Museum that, by the way, is, is looking, they're raising money trying to find another place to put the Milwaukee Public Museum. That idea appears to be kind of dead, dead on arrival. But it brings us back to the major point, which is, Can and should the domes be saved? Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The the Mitchell Park domes are an institution, and I, I appreciate that. The reality, though, is they don't generate enough revenue to come close to paying for themselves and they especially don't generate enough revenue to you know justify taking 40 50 60 70 80 million dollars and putting it into renovations so if we're going to quote unquote, save the domes it's money that has to come from somewhere else it's money that all right you could use on the parks that you've got to take from the parks it's money that you could use i don't know um, the, the safety building Boy, I was at the safety building a while back. It's a dump. The safety building is going to have to be torn down. And to replace the safety building is going to be about $250 million. All right, so you've got all these pressing needs that are out there. All right, there's these task forces that have pretty much, I think, decided that, well, no, we can't tear down the domes. To which I say, well, number one, why not? And number two, where is the money going to come from if we accept the premise that there's not enough people attending to make themselves sufficient. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Would it be the end of the world culturally, or for the institution, if the Mitchell Park domes were torn down, and the money used for other things? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And for those of you who have visited the domes, look, I. I think they're great. I haven't been there in years, and I think for the vast majority of people, I, they, they haven't been there in years. But what do we do with the domes? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back
0: to Take Your
1: Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Melissa in Brookfield. Hi, Melissa. Hi. What do you think? What do we do with the domes?
3: You know, I've been to the domes I, years ago. I thought they were great when I visited as well, but it's not something that we go back to annually. I think that they should be taken down, um, and money—at least some of the money—put into the new museum wherever they end up.
6: putting mm-hmm. the new
3: museum?
1: Right, or the—I mean, what you see here. Here's the thing: we're, we're all nostalgic about this, and and I like the domes as well, but. Most people that you talk to um, say, gee, just exactly like you. I used to go to the domes. I don't remember the last time that I I went there. And I I do wonder whether or not you could, I don't know, take the the concept of the domes and whether it's with the museum or or maybe on, on the grounds of the county zoo or something, you could do something for a lot less money that preserves the idea. No, it's not necessarily the three domes, but we're, I mean, seriously, given the needs that Milwaukee County has, where, where are you going to come up with, you know, $80 million? Now, you live in Brookfield, so you're not going to pay taxes, but we'll, we'll given all the needs that are out there, do you think people in Milwaukee County would support a, a sales tax or something to pay for the domes? And I guess I just no, don't think so. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, no, I, no, no th- thanks to call. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I guess, so whenever people say well it's nice we want to save it I, I I get that it's nice but at the same time you have to keep in mind it, it's something that was built in, ni- in the 1960s and for anybody who ever owned a house, maybe that, you know, was built in the 1960s that had a sunroom attached to it, well, chances are you've, you've probably redone, maybe torn down that sunroom because the, the the building materials and the processes they used in the 60s, well, for some of these things doesn't hold up very well. And that's the truth of, of the dome. So you're talking about a major investment and you're talking about, you know, then having to answer the question, where where do you get the dough? 414-799-1620. Debbie from Brookfield. Hi, Debbie.
4: On the other side of the coin, okay. you got to keep the domes. Okay. We go at least two to three times a year. Every time we go, we stand in line to get in for at least 20 minutes because there are so many people there. And it's, we usually go on weekends, and it's just crowded beyond belief. Maybe if they need to raise some money, stop with the stupid trolley, get rid of that money. Also,
1: okay, see, that's not fair for the argument, Debbie, because whenever anybody says, if you need to find money, get rid of the trolley, because I can't argue that point, but, but they're not going to okay. get rid of the trolley. My God, Barrett wants to spend another $150 million expanding the trolley. No,
4: no, 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 no. Another way is make people start paying to ride the bus when they ride the bus. Don't let them on if they don't say if they say oh. I'm not going to pay, and another thing is, parking at the domes is free.
1: Right. Start. How's okay. Well, or, or may, let me let me ask you this: It's um, you have to pay to get into the domes, right? Right. Would you pay more? Yeah. Okay. So you say raise the fees? Okay. Thanks, to Klein No, and I mean this is if you want to save the domes. I mean, here here is the reality. You, you've you got to come up with the alternative to how you're going to pay for it. And you're going to have to prioritize things given all the needs that are out there. Right, I want to continue this for one more segment, 414-799-1620. And interestingly, all the calls and the texts I'm getting so far, at least the calls, are from people who, who don't live in Milwaukee County. So if and now theoretically, right, if you live in Brookfield or you live in Ozaukee County, if if you were to increase the sales tax, the county sales tax, for example, you would pay that when you, you know, came into Milwaukee. But, you know, if you're in Milwaukee County, you've got skin in the game. And trust me, you're going to be getting bills for all sorts of other things pretty soon. You know, is the domes the priority? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Let's go right back to the calls. Connie in Greendale. Connie, good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jeff. How Hi are you?
1: I am well, thank you. Okay, what do we do with the domes? People I, love them.
3: I, you know, I'm nostalgic about the domes. I lived there as a teenager and a preteen, and we used to just walk up there to have something to do. And we got in for free. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, just very good, nice thing. Um, they've outlived their usefulness. I mm-hmm. think that the idea about a beer garden would be excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe with the Pottawatomie, the county could work something out with the Potawatomi that is, you know, right. quite quite clear um, near to the the casino. Well, maybe right. they would want to have something there. Uh, right.
1: But but not idea. but but the idea to you the idea of taking. 60 70 80 million dollars in taxpayer money and, and putting it in to refurbish them just doesn't make any sense to you
3: no that does not make any sense to me and, and like and, i said i'm nostalgic about it too we love that that was something from my youth but um right now they should they should take them down
1: well that's and th- thanks and see, and I, I mean i hate to come to that conclusion because but there's there's all sorts of stuff and i've made this point before in various conversations that there and, and There's, there are things that are iconic, but that doesn't mean that they last forever. Um, I, I, I talk all the time about the circus parade. If you were of a certain age, you, you don't know what I am talking about, but used to be every summer you'd have the great circus parade, and it was right after Summerfest ended, and what would happen is you'd have the circus parade, and it, you'd have all the circus wagons that would come down, the train would come down from Baraboo, and it was this big thing, and people would go down and see the circus at the lakefront, and then on Sunday they'd have this huge parade, and it used to attract enormous crowds, not necessarily as many as the adverti- as the organizers claim, but it- still it was it was great and they did it for a number of years and it was wonderful and then what happened is fewer and fewer people went and ultimately the circus parade, that is something that a lot of us speak about lovingly, it just kind of disappeared. Uh, we, we've had, remember the old Greater Milwaukee Open, the GMO, and later on it became the first bank open, the golf tournament. Tiger Woods played his first professional golf tournament here in Milwaukee. It was outstanding. They had it at a number of different locations, but most, in the last several years, it was at Brown Deer Park. It was a great thing, but... It just it outlived its usefulness, and at some point in time, there just wasn't enough interest in it, and it ended up disappearing. And, and yes, are, are you sad to see these things go? Well, well, you are, and I guess what I continue to wrestle with is for people who say we should wave our magic wand and save it, my question is always, okay, explain to me where the dough is going to come from because you're talking about a lot of money, and, you know, where are the priorities? If you accept my premise that the, the safety building, for example, downtown, like I say, that's that's a that's is going to close that thing down. And you're looking at about $250 million probably to replace that. And that probably needed to be done about 15 years ago. That's just the reality. And you've got the parks that need all this stuff. And you've got all these other demands that are out there. All right, can we afford the domes? 414-799-1620. Terry and Racine. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What yeah, do you think?
5: Yeah, I guess I, I – yeah. I think they should they should stay. I mean, I guess it's just if people actually want them the one lady calls, and oh, I love them, you know, I think a lot of it is when you get older and you don't have children, a lot of people don't really end up going. But I, when I had my children, I and mean, we were up there probably other, every other week. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can only take kids to the zoo for so long before you got to find another spot. Right, and you can't
1: take the kids to the zoo in December or January. I guess you right. can, but you're not going to as a practical matter. Right.
5: Yep. But I was thinking, too, I mean, is there a way, like, they could sublease the property to, like, the outfits that Wisconsin dells and somehow incorporate the tropical theme mm-hmm. into well, like some type of a water park, you well, know, to where.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay, Terry. Can... Terry, when, when you just said water park, let me tell you, there's a lot of these domes lovers that their heads just exploded when you said water park. But I understand yeah. what, what you're saying is try to figure out are there are, are there public private partnerships that it might be out there where you could get people corporations or whatever that be willing to write checks for 5 million or 10 million or 15 million bucks
5: right because over the border they have the one there where it's the hotel and they have yeah. the, it's all tropical and it's a right. you know, enclosed water park and i'm sure with technology with bones and everything now i'm sure they're they're way more efficient right. and i'm sure you could work i guess it's, if, if the sealer did he really want them i think there's a way that it it could work out i mean yeah it's expensive but you got to be like the mayor and just keep egging on it till you finally get what you want you know kind
1: of like the trolley no thanks thanks for call kind of like, like the trolley no i just i i i and i'm not making fun of you i'm just when you said water because I, I understand the idea of public partnership i'm just i'm picturing a lot of the domes traditionalists going my god that's that we're, we're going to turn it into the wisconsin dells and there's going to be a water park can you imagine that um 414-799-1620 let's talk to frank Hi. in bayview frank here in wtmj hello
4: all right thank you jeff i've been sure. waiting for it um i was telling Gru that i it's going to take a partnership to save the domes one way or another yeah. if they if they redo it it's going to have to be from the ground up it's it's not going to be another rehab i think the um our institutions here in milwaukee of higher learning msoe matc marquette and the like should all pal in, develop a functioning laboratory on the site where kids like they do now with field trips can get some hands-on exposure to that career field and have it be a multi-use facility. That's my point.
1: Um, interesting. And, and maybe not preserve all three of the domes, just kind of sort of convert it, perhaps? The
4: more brains you put on it, you know, they'll, they'll find a path. But I think that's where the key lies as far as partnerships. Well, there, you know, no, Otherwise, maybe you could tip your hat to the church, but you're talking a lot of money.
1: Yeah, well, no, thanks. For, well, that's, see, that, that's exactly it. I mean, I think you're on to something as far as here, – here's what, in my opinion – the conversation needs to be. It it needs to be and it needs to be this realistic type of thing. And again, I'm not sure we're we're at that stage where where people are willing to confront this. The truth of the matter is, in my opinion, if you are going to preserve the domes, you need to find some sort of public private partnership that, that where you have corporations or institutions or whatever who are prepared to step up and write really big checks. And I guess my question is, given, given all the other demands that are out there, who, who, who is this going to be? You know, I mean, you, you've got American Family Insurance that's stepped up in a big way. They're they're sponsoring Miller Park, for example. They'll be they'll be taking over Miller Park, calling it whatever. You know, they've underwritten what's going on at the Summerfest grounds. You have a number of Milwaukee corporations who've un, again underwritten what's going on at the Summerfest grounds. I, I guess to the realistic thing, and when we talk about the domes, I, I think we have to. We have to come to 2019, and we have to be realistic. We can't say, well, we just love those, and, JG, I remember when I was in grade school in 1970, whatever, we went there, and it was a wonderful type of thing. The the attendance right now is not sufficient. They're, right now, they get about 80% of their revenue from attendance, and that's that's not enough to sustain them, much less figure out how you're going to spend spend tens of millions of dollars. And, I mean – Lots of tens of millions of dollars, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars to try to keep these things for the next generation. So if we're talking about this, we have to talk about it from the context of where is the dough going to come from? I don't think the already overburdened taxpayers of Milwaukee County. Thank you, pension scandal. We talked about that on Friday show. I, I just don't think. That the taxpayers in Milwaukee County are going to want to embrace more sorts of sales taxes or other forms of taxation to save the dome specifically. I just, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I guarantee you, there'd be no support at all in Madison for a, a five county tax. Uh, like Miller Park to try to underwrite cultural um, places primarily in Milwaukee County that's just a complete and total non-starter so the bottom line is whenever you hear these conversations and you get nostalgic the question to ask is okay you want to save it explain where the money is coming from and I haven't heard a good answer to that yet just saying Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ
1: So very glad to have you with us. Um, One of our callers, when we were talking about the domes, brought up Tom Barrett's trolley. Or whenever I call it a trolley, a couple angry trolley lovers say, oh, that's insulting. It's a streetcar. Okay. Oh, you you say tomato. I say tomato. But, you know, it it is... And, and I look, I understand it's different pools of money. I, I understand that a, at least the federal money that went into underwriting the trolley, you know, came from transportation money that had to be spent on transportation. And as we've talked about in the past, now, the, the choice is it could have been put put into the bus system. And it could have been rubber tire trolleys and all, but that wasn't what the mayor's vision was. He wants the the streetcar, the trolley, or or whatever. And I also appreciate that whenever we have these conversations where we talk about the very, very significant needs that that face Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee – and i always ask the question well where could the money come from the, the easy answer is well you know instead of instead of spending it on the trolley we could spend it or try to come up with ways to do other things and i, I you know whenever somebody says that to me i get it i it i understand it but but that's not where we are the mayor of the city of Milwaukee his legacy And again, the county is different than the city, but his his regional legacy and Tom Barrett's betting everything on it. He wants to be remembered as the guy who put in the trolley that that's it. And late last week to this point, um, the financing plan, forty seven million dollars to extend the, the streetcar. Last Thursday, the City Redevelopment Authority Board voted unanimously to approve this proposal which also needs then common council approval. Uh the mayor wants to spend 47 million or so extending the flop to the Wisconsin Center and on preliminary engineering work for additional possible extensions to Walker's Point and Bronzeville. This really is like the episode of the Simpsons where the the monorail is coming and they're all going monorail, 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 monorail. And you know everybody now you've got other members of the common council who are like, "Well, I understand this is doing nothing but me, but for me but or in my district, but we're, we're going to run this all over the city, and it's going to be absolutely great. But every time you spend a dime doing this, it's, you, it, it's something that's being distracted, and it's a distraction, and it's arguably a dime that you don't have to spend on other needs of the, the city. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about, again, the, the issues with the domes, and also – you know, another part of the city of Milwaukee, which needs help desperately. There was a story, I don't know if it was in today's paper or over the weekend, uh, about about Northridge. And we were it was at a dinner party last night, or maybe it was the one I was at two nights ago. Um, my, my social calendar, thanks to my wife, is filled up a little bit. But we were talking about Northridge. And, of course, if you grew up in this area at a certain point in time, you know, Northridge was the place where you lived at. Now, of course, Northridge right now is a ghost town. The last remaining store shut down in 2003 so Northridge has been essentially vacant for the last 15 years it has fallen into disrepair to the point that Northridge is now a public safety hazard and what they're finding is that you have people who are breaking in on a regular basis and stealing stuff you know they might say well Jeff the last store closed in 2003 what would people be breaking in and stealing well you know People will steal anything. They're stealing copper piping. They're stealing anything that they can possibly find. And so now what's happening is the number of break-ins are increasing. The There's a Chinese company that bought this with the idea that they were going to rehab it and turn it into a a – I don't know like a I'm going to say like a mall but sort of like a, an area where you know different merchants could sell goods that idea has been on the table for years and years and so far this Chinese company isn't putting any money forward to try to do that it hasn't advanced so, so the city's now at a point of getting ready to to tear this down um but there's really no plan on the table for what you're going to do with it what you're going to do with Northridge and it sits out there as a as a Light on that community off of like Seventy Sixth and Brown Deer Road, and a huge eyesore, and now a public uh, safety danger. As we've talked about before, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what you do with Northridge. I I I don't I, I don't see there's any future in retail out there. I mean, it failed with Northridge. I don't know that there's an idea to you know do that. Maybe the idea of light industrial, but of course the problem is. You know, we're pushing for light industrial in other parts of the city of Milwaukee and in other parts of the county. So where are you going to come up with the 10 or 20 million dollars or whatever you need to try to, you know, level Northridge and, and move on? I bring this up only because when we talk about things like the domes, or all the other stuff, the county parks, or extending the streetcar line. And I understand city and county, but if we're talking about a region, you have to figure out how you're going to prioritize stuff. And I will say this, I think we have some peculiar priorities around here as to what we're willing to put money into and what we can't find money for. So, like, money for the trolley, but, you know, no money for lead pipe replacement. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show.
1: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, you know, we were talking earlier about the anonymity of the Internet and stuff. Yes. One of my favorite email from today, my favorite text from today my favorite you know yeah I, what was it uh jeff your topic sucked today <laughs>
6: <laughs> i kind of love the feedback right well, i love well, that. well <laughs> yeah
1: you know and it's like Way oh to be honest. well 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 we're psycho you know i mean i'm sitting there thinking is this like a unique job i mean does somebody See, this is the interesting thing. I mean, would you walk over to, like, like Cop's Custard, right. you know, and walk up to the guy that's, like, serving the custard and say, that flavor of the day sucks.
6: <laughs> right. Who, you know, you were talking about... Who does um, this stuff? You, know, you were at the airport, and you weren't there at the airport, but the story about the airport, the Enterprise car that, you know, got into an accident, right. and then someone comes out, they have a gun, and then someone right. has a knife. And I feel like the Internet has provided this mentality of you can just say anything Absolutely. to anybody, anywhere, anytime. And it again, right. we, we laugh at this right now because he says that your topics suck. But it's it's funny because I think well, they like, might very
1: well. I don't know, but I mean, it, it, I that's like, so, but you don't go out but, to somebody's jobs and say, oh, "I right. really suck." Right? You know, it's somebody that you don't yeah. know or whatever, and it's 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 interesting because I I go you know I I go out to talk to lots of people and they they wonder yeah. about the mechanics of what we all sure. do, and they're always like. Well, you know, what sort of feedback do you get? I said, well, you you should see the emails and stuff. And and the truth is, you know, 95% of it's positive and stuff like that. You you understand that. But then you get like, and I'm thinking, well, who just, who takes the time to send that to somebody, you know? but. (laughs) you know it i'm
6: just glad they they don't have like you know i'm getting messages on my phone saying you suck i'm like oh that would make me feel really bad (laughs) i would probably be like oh i do no No. (laughs) but
1: no but you got it you can't yeah you can't you you kind of roll with that and cash the paycheck every two and a half weeks (laughs) all right we have we have your partner on the line, so we'll, we'll maybe maybe he'll pick up at least in the idea of this this one guy. Okay, so John McCure joining us from one of the great cities in North America, Toronto. Hello, John. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Very well. I've been looking at the different stuff that you've been posting and sending back. Looks like you're having fun.
6: Oh, we're having a great time. This really is a beautiful city. Beautiful city. Tough game last night, but everybody's in good spirits and looking forward to tomorrow night and. We're meeting a lot of Bucks fans. We're meeting a lot of Torontonians. i never heard that word before, and we're having a great time. This is the place to be.
1: Now, John, I heard one of your earlier segments. There's there's not as many Bucs fans, or at least you haven't found as many Bucs fans as maybe we, we thought might have traveled up to Toronto?
6: Yeah, you know, I'm here with Greg Matzik, and we've been talking about this. There are not a lot of Bucks fans, and i got to be honest with you, the Bucs fans I have found are people who are Canadians. I don't know. Maybe Bucks fans are waiting on the finals. They think that we're going to San Francisco and that would be a better trip. Maybe they think game six if it's necessary. But I have to be honest with you, have been very surprised that there are not a lot of Bucks fans. Now, the ones I have found are enthusiastic. They love Giannis. They're optimistic. They're fun. But there have not been a lot of Bucks fans here.
1: Huh, interesting. Uh, you were in the arena last night. Give me a sense of the, the vibe. It looked, it, it looked a lot of. It looked like it was a lot of fun, a lot of energy. At least watching it on TV or listening to it on the radio.
6: Yeah, you know, Jeff, that was it exactly. As you watched the game, you probably felt the same thing that was felt in the arena. That is, the Bucks could never really quite get over the hump. They just couldn't quite get over the hump. I mean, they were down by four. They were down by six. The Raptors let them hang around. Giannis struggled. The crowd loved that. He was booed when he touched the ball. But Giannis could never get going. The Bucs could never get going. Then. And they got to that double overtime, and the place just absolutely erupted. It was an electric environment, and I thought the Bucs were going to steal one. I thought without our All-Stars playing their best game, it might happen. But as you saw, Toronto prevailed. But it's a pretty cool place to watch a basketball game. I mean, it's no five-serve it's no 5 forum, but right. it's a pretty cool place to see again. Well,
1: it, it looked like there was a nice – did you get any sense of, of the people that were outside? Because my – you know, what do they call it, Jurassic Park or whatever? Yeah, yeah. It looked like a lot of people that were out there.
6: Yeah, it is, Jeff. We walked through that area. It's Maple Leaf Square is the big square there, and it was designed for hockey. There's a big hockey town. And now during basketball season, they've turned it into what they call Jurassic Park. It's kind of like the Deer District, but cannot hold as many people. The Deer District is more wide open, the Deer District has more space and the Deer District has better TVs. But uh, but it, it is a cool place. There's a cool energy, a cool vibe. Lots of Raptors fans there and they make a lot of noise and it's very very similar to the Deer District actually. Have you uh tasted any poutine while you're up there, John? Hey, it's fun you should ask that. Yeah. Yes. You we have. Uh, a couple of nights ago, and Greg Massick ordered a couple of big helpings of poutine, mm. and we were all kind of like, I don't know,
1: let's yeah. try it. And then
6: we devoured it and needed more. Ooh.
1: Fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah, see, I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you guys on that one. I'm, I'm not a big poutine guy. Have you done anything besides going to the games that's fun?
6: Oh, yeah, Jeff. As a matter of fact, I uh, I spent today walking around the, the entertainment district, which is super cool. I, was, uh, I didn't go up in CN Tower, but the big tower, one of the biggest structures in the world, I walked by there. There's a Blue Jays game going on today, so that's in the same area. Walked by there, took a stroll along the lakefront, which is absolutely beautiful, Lake Ontario. Uh, parts of it actually remind me of what they've done in Milwaukee. They have a big area where they have music. They have a lot of green space. And it, the weather's been pretty good. It's been 60s. It's been sunny. So we've been walking out. Uh, but mostly, to be honest with you, I've been out talking to people and trying to collect elements for our broadcast and just kind of meeting folks. And everybody here is Canada nice. And it's kind of hard after you lose a tough game. You'd like somebody to kind of be a jerk, <laughs>
1: and they're not. They're just the nicest, nicest people. Okay, so if our if our station management is listening, you you've you've been working hard the whole time, right? That's the message.
6: Uh, very hard. As a matter of fact, I barely had time to take this phone call. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I appreciate. But you know, John, it's it's interesting back here. Um, you use the word like steal a game. the general sense I, I think most people feel here is the the bucks are a better team. Toronto had their back to the wall, and you know give them credit. you know they won the game yesterday, but at the end of the day, I guess the general sense is the bucks are a better team, and whether it 's four game, whether it 's five games or six games or seven games, the bucks are going to be just fine. You, you don't imagine the starters starting with Giannis, are going to have that bad a game too many more times.
6: Yeah, I think you're right, Jeff, and I think most Raptor fans even kind of agree with that. And uh, it's it's very interesting because you know I talked to Alex Lazzari, the senior vice president of the Bucks, which we're going to show on the show, share with the show coming up, and you know he kind of said, "Look, this Raptors team is a good basketball team. We respect the Raptors, but at the end of the day, Jeff, we're right where you're supposed to be. The Bucks protected the home court; they won both games there. The Raptors won their first home game here. The series doesn't really shift to a different level until." the away team wins a game, and that could happen tomorrow. I mean, i got to imagine that Giannis is just stewing. And some of those other guys that Giannis kicked it to and missed open shots, they've got to be stewing as well.
1: Yeah, interesting. Well, John McCure thanks. We'll be listening. Um, you'll be, of course, you're doing your sh- a version of your show, or at least part of the show, from Toronto, so everybody be tuned in. And we will talk to you tomorrow about the same time as it gets closer to Game 4 out in Toronto. So you, you have – I know you're working hard, but you have a lot of fun, okay?
6: Sounds good. There is room for both, Jeff. We'll it, do
1: both. Exactly, it works. We'll talk to you tomorrow, John. <laughs> tomorrow. Take care. That's John McEure up in uh, up in Canada. I do. I think Toronto is, as I said with the lead in. I think it's one of the the great North American cities. It's it's incredibly clean. It is incredibly safe. You know, he used the phrase. You know, Canada nice. You do need you do need a passport to travel to Canada, and maybe maybe that's a factor why you. you you, you didn't have a large contingent of fans that, you know, headed up there. My guess is also one of the things that's going on is I, I think a lot of fans not taking Toronto for granted, but figure, okay, this is, you know, they're, they're going to be playing in the NBA finals, and, and maybe they're kind of saving their powder to say, okay, maybe we're going to take a trip to California to try to support the Bucs. But in any event, um, game four is tomorrow. You can hear it here. John McCure will be in Toronto today and tomorrow. I think he's scheduled to come back on Wednesday, so he'll be giving live reports as well. It's 2-17. This is Jeff Wagner.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I am getting ready to have one of my give me strength moments. And this this story and the way it's presented tells you so much about politics and politicians. Journal Sentinel is reporting. State Senator Lena, this would be Screaming Lena. Don't you know who I am, Taylor? Is weighing a 2020 run challenging Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. Lena Taylor, state senator, represents kind of the Glendale area, thinking that she's going to get involved. Here's what the story says, at least the first couple paragraphs. After years of speculation that she was interested in the city's top job, state senator Lena Taylor appears close to ba- launching a bid to challenge Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett in 2020. Now this is, this is my favorite line of the story. Taylor. 52 said Monday that she is being drafted by Milwaukee residents to run. Let me start by saying that people are doing this and I'm honored that people see my work and see my need to serve as serve as mayor. If I was to run, I can see why people want that. Let me start by saying that the people are doing this, and I'm honored that people see my work and see my need to serve as mayor. If I was to run, I can see why people want that. I am Milwaukee. Okay, now, like here, here, here is the bottom line. Whenever, whenever somebody continue considers getting into politics, it's never, I want the job. It's always. I am being drafted. It, it's this groundswell of people who are begging me to run. Lena, 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 you have to run. You have to challenge this. "We We need you. Let me translate that. I mean, by in that context, the, the people are normally your immediate family and the person you look to in the mirror. Oh, that's the person. Or if you talk to yourself, I mean, you know, you, you talk back and you answer yourself and you are that person. Oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm honored that there's this draft Lena Taylor movement that's out there. Now, here, here's the bottom line. You know, you know who is going to be the happiest person if Lena Taylor runs for mayor? Well, it, it's not too hard. Tom Barrett. Because with all due respect, I think Lena Taylor, who has been a source of incredible controversy over the years and and very divisive, even among her own constituents, I think Lena Taylor has little chance of beating Tom Barrett. Now, I I understand. Let's 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 put our cards on the table here. Um, there, there is a groundswell and there's some people that think that Tom Barrett, who is white, is vulnerable if you were to have a strong African, uh, American challenger emerge. That's why people are looking to see, for example, if common council president Ashanti Hamilton, you know, considers getting in the race or if there's other people out there, because there is at least one line of thinking that, okay, maybe this is the time in Milwaukee's past, present, and future, maybe this is the time that you have a somebody who is elected. I mean, Marvin Pratt served as the mayor for a while, but that was only, you know, as the acting mayor, that maybe this is the time for a person of color to get elected as the mayor of Milwaukee, and maybe this is the time for a person of color to run. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But um, Lena Taylor apparently is, is you know, considering getting in. Like I say, she has been a lightning rod. Remember, she, she ran in 2008. She's been very upwardly mobile. And by the way, I like Lena Taylor. I, as I've said this before on the radio, if you talk to Lena Taylor privately, the, the, there's, there's a private Lena Taylor, and then there's kind of the public persona, and the, the private Lena Taylor, in my opinion, is a, a much more serious, studious person than the public persona that she's created, but it's kind of tough to get past the public persona. She ran in 2008 against Scott Walker, um, ended up losing for county executive Like I say, she's been at the forefront of a number of different incidents over the years. She is extremely controversial. I'm not saying that this might not be the right time in Milwaukee's history for, uh, for example, a person of color to get elected. I have serious questions as to whether Lena Taylor is going to be that person. And if the race comes down, at least in my opinion, at this point in time, to Tom Barrett Or Lena Taylor, I I think Barrett coasts to re-election. I think there may be some other candidates, though, that are out there that may get in the race and might give Barrett more of a run for his money. Just saying. But screaming Lena Taylor at least appears, if you believe this Journal Sentinel story, close to jumping into the race to be the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs) We are back. All right. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Let me say at the beginning, I think you millennials are, are getting a somewhat bad rap. Now, Rue is producing the show. You are a millennial. All right. Millennials if are people. It's the, it's people who were born essentially between 1981 and 1996. So if you are in like 23 to 38, you are a millennial the next older group would be Gen X and then you got us, us baby boomers. Here, here's the number story big story in The Wall Street Journal. Let me just read the first paragraph or two. American millennials are approaching middle age. huh See group? You're, you're heading towards middle age, buddy. Okay, are approaching middle age in worse financial shape. Than every living generation ahead of them, lagging behind baby boomers and Generation X, despite a decade of economic growth and falling unemployment. Yeah, we we've been since like 2008. The economy has in general been been roaring. Unemployment is at all time lows, but yet it says that gen, that uh, millennials worse financial shape than every living generation. Millennials have less wealth. Less property, lower marriage, lower marriage rates, fewer children. Okay, according to new data, millennials help drive the number of U.S. births to their lowest in 32 years. That means fewer workers in the future to support Social Security and other public programs for the ballooning population of retirees, including like guys like me. Sometime in the near or far future, Social Security last month estimated that in 2035. After nearly all baby boomers retire, there will be 2.2 workers per beneficiary. Last year there were 2.8. The current birth rate of around 1.8 children per woman is expected to create a Social Security deficit of nearly $2 trillion over the next 75 years. In other words, Gru, you millennials aren't getting busy enough and having enough kids and things like that. Then the story goes on and on, and it talks about, again, earning capacity and home ownership, despite the fact that millennials as a group are better educated than any generation before them, about four in ten People ages 25 to 37 hold at least a bachelor's degree compared with about 25% of baby boomers and 3 of 10 Gen Xers in the same age. All right, so lower incomes, lower birth rates, lower net worth tied a lot to the fact that millennials aren't buying homes. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, millennials in worse shape than every living generation ahead of them, fewer kids. Is this really something to be worried about, or is this just kind of a generational change? And and by that, I, I mean, okay, yeah, fewer kids, but maybe rather than, oh, this is something we should criticize millennials for, maybe it's just a reflection that people are having kids later and that, all right, you know, people – If you're 25 years old, maybe you don't want to have, you know, 2.8 kids. Maybe you want to have one kid. Is it possible it's a changing thing? Homeownership rates are lower. And I understand some people might say, well, it's because people are in debt and they've got student loan. But part of it might also be just a a change in interest. Look, my my um, my generation. You know, we, we loved and respected or my parents but their idea of the American dream was different than my idea of the American dream there was some overlap but there was different things we wanted I think maybe you know somebody who's in their 30s maybe their idea of success and contentment maybe you know it, it's not buying the house and having the big mortgage maybe it's hey we, we want to live in this urban area and we, we, we're we not as concerned, perhaps, about the future and accumulating wealth. You know, we want to do jobs that we find to be particularly rewarding and that, that type of stuff. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The headline is, Playing Catch-Up in the Game of Life, Millennials Approach Middle Age in Crisis. I think a lot of this is overblown. Are we too hard? on people ages 23 to 38 are the stereotypes unfair and for those of us who might be a bit older are we imposing our idea of what life should look like on you know people who are in their 20s when the truth is all right maybe their idea of a successful and fun life isn't what my idea of a successful and fun life is I want to stick up for the Millennials if you're in that capacity, are you tired of being kicked around? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it really so tough to be a, a millennial? And from a financial perspective, you know, ha- have you been bypassed? Uh, say a couple of texts, Jeff. I cannot disagree with the assessment in the story you just read. I have a mortgage and $60,000 in school debt with one child. At 29, I feel like I am years behind on my financial goals. We only plan on having two kids. And, of course, this ties in with the fact that – um. You know, the, when you look at the, the number of children um, that are, millennials are having, it's dramatically less than baby boomers and even Gen Xers. And, of course, that has an impact moving forward on things like Social Security where – you know the whole idea is people retire, and then you have other people in the system that are working to pay for their retirement benefits. Let's see, Jeff. As a millennial, I would have more children if my student loan payments weren't so high. Hmm. And again, this is uh, one of our listeners. She's calling. She's writing from Oconomowoc, saying, "Hey, it's the I, I'd have more kids." but I feel like I'm strapped with student loan debt. Here's another one. Jeff, millennials don't like those things that you're talking about, homes, marriage, babies, because they're not free. Many millennials have become dependent on a handout lifestyle and cannot grasp the financial responsibility they were to finance anything, Um, and that comes from one of my listeners who's a millennial. He's 29 years old. He says he's married with a home, kind of dumping on his own generation. Jeff, my sister is a millennial, and the reason she rents and has no kids is because she travels, whether for work or leisure, more than I ever did. Being a Gen Xer, she doesn't have the same sense of being tied down to one thing. See, that's look, that's what I think is going on to an extent. I mean, here here's what happened with... Millennials at a point we we had the the big recession in 2007 and 2008 so that's 10 years ago and for for the older Millennials that kind of hit them right as they were getting into the workforce and it it depleted. It limited their ability to save for retirements and things like that. For those of us who are a little bit older, who already had a bunch of assets and stuff in savings, the savings went down during that, that period of time, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But over the last ten years, we, you know, you've seen this unprecedented growth, and so for for a lot of us, the investments were able to recover. So there is an element of that that's going on. Here is part of the other story I find fascinating: men and women in their thirties, that would be the millennials. Are marrying at rates below every other generation on on record, and of course I, I understand that you don't need to be married to make babies, but I mean typically the thing is okay you find somebody you get married you end up you know having kids, and what they're seeing is that's that's growing um, the, the number of people who are either delaying or avoiding marriage in its entirety are are is growing, and so as a result you, you know you don't have the same you know, number of the same increases in population that you had before. Again, I go back to what one of my basic premises though was on this. And I I just think I just think it's different lifestyle preferences and different choices that you make here's another text jeff as an employer most of my millennial employees lease new cars live in high priced apartments and have all the bells and whistles satellite tv service etc and rarely participate in our 401k programs and I, i guess on the one hand you can explain that well people have student loan debt and they're trying to dig out of it and i'm sure there's a valid valid aspect to that But I I continue to believe, as I said at the start of this, that it's much more complicated than that. And it's just in many respects, in many respects, a a reflection of of changing tastes and a changing vision of what the American dream, uh, again, is all about for baby boomers the the idea and I think not for everybody I understand I'm generalizing but for baby boomers I I think the idea was for a lot of us the idea was okay you want to have the house in the suburbs and you want to have the 2.3 kids and you want to have the two cars in the garage and you want to be able to have the mortgage paid off by the time you get ready to retire and you want to be able to go on a vacation or two a year and you'll go up north and take a week that that was the idea of of success and that was the idea of the American dream and that's what people aspire to I mean, I I remember when I was in my 20s, the goal was, okay, let's figure out how we can put aside enough money so we can get the down payment on the house and and we can make it work. Okay, that that was our idea of the american dream i I think now there's a lot of people who maybe their vision of what gives them happiness when they're 26 might be completely different than what my vision of of where you want your life to be when you know when i was when i was 26 and and i think now it's more like and this isn't a criticism not a criticism at all it's just a reflection of the new reality there that hey what why do I want to go out and necessarily buy the house in in the suburbs? Maybe what I why do I feel this desire or rush to have kids or whatever? Here, you know, this is what I want the lifestyle to be. I want the urban area. I want to be able to walk the stuff. I don't need the two cars that are around. That's just insurance and all these costs of upkeep. And I, I want to. I, I wanna be able to travel. I don't wanna delay if I wanna go and see these different places around the world, I don't wanna to have to wait till I'm sixty five to do that. I, I wanna do that now. I wanna live my life as i 'm as i 'm proceeding to do that, and you don 't feel if the right person comes along great, but you don 't necessarily feel the pressure that gee i 've got to go out and i 've got to get married and i 've got to start having my family and raising my kids, and i 've got to have the two point three kids by the time i 'm twenty five I just think in many respects things have things have changed and and is there a financial component to it Well, maybe. And I appreciate the whole student loan type of stuff. And I appreciate why millennials might be a little bit further behind. But again, I I think a lot of it is just, well, okay, we don't want to necessarily save aggressively because we want to live life here for the moment. And, you know, we'd rather... Have some of the stuff with bells and whistles and we'd rather go out to dinner and we'd rather be able to travel than putting the money into some of these other types of things and that doesn't make it bad it doesn't make it good it just makes it a little bit different now it will have an impact later on when you know people who you know are in their 30s now somehow now get to their 50s and if you don't have the assets of a house and you don't have a bunch of money salted away in the 401k plans or whatever and you got to figure out where retirement's going to come from that's that's definitely a factor no question about it but i'm going to stick up for millennials because it sounds to me like some of this is just people deciding that they're going to live life one day at a time and i don't know that that's necessarily I don't know that that's necessarily irresponsible. You just have to be aware, and not everybody, not everybody needs to own a house. Not everybody wants to own a house. Not everybody should own a house. I think, I think the millennial, millennial generation, while different than the boomers and different than Generation X, I think they're going to be just fine. All right, when we come back, John McCure. Greg Matzik are in Toronto, as I said earlier this hour, one of the great cities in North America. Well, they're not there on a vacation. They're there because the bucks are there. We're going to talk to John, find out what he's got on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.